This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, and this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. And I have been looking forward to this conversation for a very long time. It's quite weird. I say that quite often um, about my <laughs> about my about my guests, but it just shows that I really do enjoy the conversations. And I'm joined on the other side by oh, let me let me try out your surname, Roman uh, Bustrianic. Close enough, Bustrianic. Yes, Bustrianic. Okay, what? That's a good. What nationality is that surname? Ukrainian. Yeah, you're the co-author of um, an amazing book, Dissolving Illusions, uh, which, as I just said to you a few minutes ago, was recommended to me while I was on a hunt. <laughs> we wrote it. Cause, yes. Uh, uh, Suzanne and, Humphreys yeah. is, is a honest, brilliant woman that without her wouldn't have existed. So, so it's you know it's a it's a it's a you know two-person effort actually more than that, but um, she was just incredible uh, and still is incredible. Um, but I did start the project, and I really started it because I had young kids at the time, mm. and I was always interested, well, not always, but I had become interested in alternative medicine and, um, you know, looking into medical medical journals, and I was listening to a radio program one day, and I heard about uh, autism and neurological damage from vaccines, and I listened to the program, and I thought, well, that's that's horrible. You know, some kids are going to be damaged by vaccines. And, you know, I thought, well, that's, 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 that's obviously bad. But uh, I thought, you know, well, at least we have vaccines because they got rid of all these horrible diseases. And I thought, well, you know, it's just, that's a shame. You know, some people have to get injured to save the, you know, the greater good, you know, for the greater good. That's what, you know, I believed I had no idea. Um, and I had picked up a few books and I picked up a book by Neil Miller. And in that book, there was a chart and there it showed a decline of in death from measles by 95% before they started vaccinating in 1963. And I looked at the chart and I thought, well, that can't be right. That's definitely not right. It, was just, it just hit my belief system. But I was kind of curious. So I went to a local library and opened up a couple almanacs and I found some mortality data, and uh, it was every 10 years, and I had a piece of uh, graph paper, so this was a few years ago, and I, I charted what they had in there, and it was basically the same chart, and I was I was just stunned. I just sat there and looked at it for a while, and I was like, I couldn't believe it, because I already knew that vaccines had saved us from all these infectious diseases, so therefore, you know, something something just didn't fit. But here was the data, and I was looking at it, and I was like, Wow, I just was blown away. It was really a, just one of those moments that I, you know, still remember, and that was over 20 years ago. And I, then I thought, you know, where does this data come from? And uh, I decided to go to Yale Medical uh, Library, they uh, down in New Haven, and never had been there before. So I just basically walked in like I owned the place and said, "Oh, I'm here to use the, uh, I'm here to use the library." And the guy at the desk said, oh, "Okay, just." sign here and here's a sticker to put on your chest and you can walk in oh, that was easy i walked in and i uh found uh some different books and i finally found the u.s vital statistics and as i started paging through those and i was able to find data from you know 1900 to 1902 and maybe 1904 to 1907 
you know, I had to go through lots of books and I started photocopying all that data. And it happened to be for all the infectious diseases, measles, whooping cough, scarlet fever. So I, I, I eventually got all those pages. I had to go a few times to get all that stuff because you had to photocopy stuff at the time. It's not like the, you know, wonderful internet now. Um, and I went back and I started entering this into a spreadsheet. And, you know, after a while, I got the U.S. data in there and I just, and I charted um, the, the measles. That was my first chart. And actually, I'll show you that right now. And you can see here we had a 98.7% decline from the peak to when they started, just started vaccinating in 1963. And it was just, you know, it was a wow moment because that's a massive decline. I thought it just it, you just can't believe it's true right but here's mm -hmm. the data you can't get better at the united states vital statistics and i would just you know how come we don't know this it was just uh you know earth shattering and then i started charting the other infectious diseases and next one was whooping cough oops does it go let's see if it works here we go and that too before they started vaccinating um had gone down by 92 percent so we used to have high rates of mortality and it was going down and down. And if you look at the trend, it seems that the, you know, vaccination didn't even have an impact on the downward trend. Mm. It seemed to have no effect whatsoever. So that was another infectious disease. And as you know, when I started looking at all of them and there was quite a few different infectious diseases, typhoid and, and, um, all these different types of diseases, they all went down all about the same time. And I thought, wow, you know, why is that? Uh, I also was able to get um, data from England. And they, so in the United States, we began uh, keeping statistics in 1900. They started in 1838. So I got this data from England. That's a you know, series of lucky events. Mm. And you can see mm, you could, in the 1800s, you know, people died from measles like flies. It was quite uh, devastating. And then, you know, late 1800s into the 1900s, Unbelievable. measles deaths dropped. And by the time they started vaccinating in England, 1968, they did five years later than the United States. It was gone. They're down by almost, almost 100%, 99.8%. Mm. And similarly with whooping cough. Look at that. Same thing. Big, huge death rate and drop. And then by this time, they start using the vaccine uh, nationally. 1957, we're already down 99%. So first, first is the aha. Wow. The, you know, we didn't know all this stuff, or at least I didn't know it. And I got the feeling nobody else really knew it. Um, hope these slides are in some kind of right order because I just slapped them together, but. Uh, and then there's scarlet fever. That was a much bigger killer in the 1800s. 100%. It went to zero. Yeah, it went down. To, but there's no real vaccination program for scarlet fever. So it went down to zero without any vaccine program. And mm. that was a bigger killer. That was that was um, known as the fell destroyer. Everybody knew somebody who died from scarlet fever. How were they testing it back then? Well, they weren't testing it with any kind of test. They would just do it by identifying by, you know, the coplic spots your fever, your symptoms, that type of thing. And it was recorded That's then it. as measles. Right. Right. Okay. Right. That's correct. Um, and this data is 
was already known in the late in the 1960s. So here's the chart I just showed you with measles, and then there's the chart that you can find in this United States Vital Statistics. So you can f see that the, they had a chart just like this way back in the 60s, mm. but it, they never did anything with it. No one seemed to really remember it or you know pay reference to it. Um, similarly, this is a new chart. This is not in the book. Uh, flu, flu pneumonia deaths uh, declined by 90% yeah, before sure. they started vaccinating. And then look what so, happens after that. Well, it did go up slightly. And what we did, we just started vaccinating in the um, late 1970s. And you can see the vaccination rate goes up. And it, you know, this is in the 65 olders, I think. Yeah. So it, it goes up to 60, 70%. So it's mm. a high vaccination rate. And yet, basically, the mortality rate hasn't changed in about 40 years. So, you know, I'm not, you know, it, it makes you wonder, you know, why are we just still doing this? And this is all, by the way, all the data that we're looking at is all verifiable. You can go to dissolvingillusions.com, go to charts, and all these charts are referenced and they have the references underneath and you can go, you know, look them all up and verify the data. Mm. And um, so this is like, all this is all CDC data. I had to go hunt for each each of the years over here for vaccination levels and the death rate. But this is all, you know, available on the CDC websites. You have to go really look for it. But uh, I make it easy. I have all the references underneath the charts. So you can go look, look it up and verify that this is all correct. And uh, I've asked people to check it over and I've never had anybody come back and say it's not correct. Life in the 1800s was tough. There was no sanitation. There was no pipe water. Uh, so when you went to the bathroom, or went out, went out the window and it mixed with your water supply, there were dead animals in the streets. Uh, it, it was rough. There was child labor and, uh, people had horrible food. They were malnourished frequently. Uh, they had, you know, you can imagine if they slaughtered an animal somewhere in New York city, they just took pieces of it and hung it in a window and there it stayed. There was no refrigeration and you would get this rotted meat and refined carbs. And that's what you were eating. Of course, oh, I get what you're saying. So, in other words, the living standards improved. Well, yeah. So, 1800s mm -hmm. really tough. Uh, things slowly changed over time. You also had industries like tanners and all that dumping all their uh, toxins into the water supply too. And it's not like today. You just turn your tap and look relatively clean water. Not for everybody, but for a lot of people. And uh, that changed. So, by the time you're in the 50s. You have this kind of environment as opposed to what you had in the 1800s it was really difficult. Mm. And here you have refrigeration, you have access to much better food, which we still have today, you know, if you don't count the junk food. Um, and uh, you have clean water, you go to the bathroom, you don't have to, you know, throw it into your own water supply. So, you know, everything's improved. You have electricity. First, you had ice boxes, now you have this. And that's what made the tremendous difference and that's why all infectious diseases declined at the same time it was living living conditions changed. yeah i mean there used to be child labor you know kids as long as you as young as four or five years old were working in mines and other factories you know in cotton mill all sorts of horrible things that you can't you know it's hard to even imagine mm. So all those things changed. And when all those things changed, that's where you got the big, big, big improvements.
Um, and in this chart, we're, I'm just trying to show that the death rate from scurvy, which still occurred in the 1900s, declined pretty much at the same rate as measles. And I think what happened is that you know people's nutritional levels improved overall. And so by the time you're in the 50s and 60s, people in Western countries had it pretty good. They mm. had at least you know sanitation. They had piped water. They had decent food. And then uh, I'm often asked, you know, what about um, smallpox, right? Mm. And smallpox. That's a popular which one. Which was, this is where we get the word vaccination from. Um, because this uh, this doctor, Edward Jenner, just, you know, had heard a, um, a rumor that milkmaids were protected from smallpox. There were other doctors at the time said so that's not really true, but he believed it. And so he took some. Uh, you know, infected material from a hand of a dairy maid and scratched it onto a boy. And then later on, he exposed him to smallpox to see if he would be protected. And the story goes, he didn't get smallpox. Therefore, this uh, vaccination or cowpoxing would protect you for life. That was his conclusion, which, of course, there's no way he would know that would actually happen. And there's no way to know that this boy didn't already have smallpox uh, there was a procedure at the time where they would scratch smallpox onto your arm and you know that was a way to protect you from the smallpox so that was something that was very commonly done so his experiment wasn't like diabolical people were scratching smallpox onto um people all the time as a matter of fact he did that to his son he uh, exposed him to swinepox which he thought was basically the same thing got it from a obviously from a pig scratched it onto his son and every year he was you know back, um scratching smallpox onto him his son died when he was 21 and some people claim it was because of all these you know uh being exposed to you know different types of smallpox different scratches every year anyway so this was the basic story and if you read um you know some of the medical history uh, straight up, they say, well, this is what he did. And then they started vaccinating and everything was, you know, everybody lived happily ever after, ever after. But, you know, I did this in, uh, in a video. Jenner actually believed that this thing came from a horse. It was kind of a horse box. It was called the grease. It was from the sores of their leg. And it somehow infected a cow. So he would take hor horse stuff from their legs and scratch it on the cows and he would make vaccination material, or he would get it directly from the horse and call that vaccination material. People also thought it came from goats and pigs. So they had all these different ideas where this came from because nobody really understood any of this. They were just trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, there were people also that said, hey, maybe it's just smallpox that gets changed by the cow. So what they would do is they would take um, people who would die from the smallpox and scratch it on the cows, or they would take blankets from people who died and hang it around the heads of cows to try to make vaccination material. <laughs> so it, there was all these different things and different ways they thought of doing it. And they would take this stuff either directly from a cow or from all these different other sources, and they would scratch it onto your arm or your inner thigh until you bled. And then they would take it from one person to the next person to the next person to the next person. They called it arm-to-arm -arm vaccination, which is the way they did it for 100 years, from uh, all the way up to 1898 when they finally outlawed it. So it was, but this all came under the brand name of vaccination. 
even though some of it was from horses or pigs or goats or even really pretty much from a corpse that died from smallpox. So it was all a big mishmash of different things they were scratching on. Nobody really knew what they were being scratched with at any particular time. But this vaccination replaced the original taking smallpox and scratching on people, which at the time was very popular, but then this replaced that and that fell out of, you know, popular favor. So this was the, the thing that, you know, came into vogue. And, you know, it was considered that, well, gee, this is going to protect you for life. But then later on, it was changed to, well, maybe it doesn't do that, but it will protect you. You'll have to get revaccinated one, one to 10 years. And even if you get smallpox, you're probably not going to get it as bad. So definitely, you know, things changed over time. But uh, really immediately in 1799, which is one year after Jenner published his, his uh, paper on vaccination, uh, Dr. Drake actually got material from Edward Jenner, which was probably from a horse, but we don't know. And he scratched it onto three kids. He was following the procedure. And then he waited a few days, uh, you know, whatever number of days you had to wait. And then he exposed them to smallpox and they all got smallpox. So it had failed right out of the gate. Uh, and, and over the next 20, 30 years, there were, you know, reports of all sorts of failures, you know, all sorts of outbreaks of smallpox and uh, people were still getting it. But uh, that didn't seem to deter anybody. Everyone seemed to jump onto this uh, idea because they felt like, well, it's protecting some people and who knows why they actually jumped on it. And I think some people were making profit with it. So it just became very popular. But people were also being, you know, damaged or killed by this. Yeah. You know, as you might imagine, taking these things and scratching it on the people. Some people got sick and died and some people were injured. Um, so what they, you know, the the government started saying, hey, you, you have to do it. And they started putting in stricter and stricter laws. Oh, well, let me jump back to this. So this is uh, just some documentation showing that, um, you know, where this stuff came from, swinepox, cowpox, the grease, which is horsepox, goatpox. And here's some more stuff where they were taking um, the uh, smallpox and scratching it onto uh, cows. So... And here and you can see the first line, taking the blankets from somebody who died of smallpox and hanging it around the cow's heads, which, you know, okay, you know, that's crazy stuff. Anyway, we just talked about that. Um, and so here are some examples of, of, and there's, there's more in the, you know, the old literature who suffered horribly when they got vaccinated. And, you know, they're talking about high fever for five to 10 days here and, you know, just brutal. And some of them said, hey, I'd rather have had smallpox than being vaccinated, you know. So there, there's a lot of these types of uh, examples in the in the old literature. That you can so the vaccine was doing absolutely nothing. Uh, it seemed that it would cause you to be really, really sick. So who knows what it was doing? Because okay, it so was, it actually was doing something. Again, <laughs> yeah. Well, again, it wasn't a vaccine. Who knows which one you got? Right? Was mm, it from? Mm. Was it really from a corpse with right. small, that died from smallpox, or was it from a horse, from a goat, a pig? You know, who knew? Because they were making it up as they were going along. You know, so you never know where it came from. Uh, and oh, this is just another thing. All the way up in 1968, you can see the Yale Journal of mm. Biology and Medicine: two to three hundred deaths from smallpox vaccination you know, during a time period. So people died from vaccination. So as people found out that you could die from you know, a vaccine or get injured, 
you know, governments stepped in and they said, hey, no, no, you got to do it. And they started mandating these things. And um, we can see here. Can you see my cursor? Yeah, I can see it. Yes. Yeah. 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 OK. So the first one was in 1853. There was another one in 1867. And the gray is the smallpox you know outbreak so they continued to have smallpox outbreaks until they had a massive one in 1872 which was huge it was one of the biggest ones well it was the biggest ones of the 1800s um and then after that it dropped off but you know so you have these strict laws and didn't seem to affect anything you know because pretty much by this point everybody had to be vaccinated which and it made and it made no could, difference eh? Well, you you would imagine why would it, right? I mean, it right, just seems yeah. kind of you know ludicrous, right? Um, and here's an example in Boston. So they had in, enacted, and we have this in the book, but basically they enacted strict laws. Everybody had to be vaccinated in 1855. And looking at their data, the 20 years before they started vaccinating, and 20 years after, it's much worse. 20 years after, it's mm, look at that 80, spike, 85 percent. Yeah, 85 percent more. Uh, deaths after the strict laws. So did those strict laws work? Uh, no. So people were pretty ticked off in various places. In, in, in Leicester, England in 1885, they said, hey, you know, we had enough of this. We've had people injured. We had people killed by vaccines. Uh, we don't want to do this anymore because they, they were being imprisoned if they couldn't pay a fine, if they didn't get vaccinated, they didn't want to vaccinate their kids. And so there was a big rebellion, essentially. They had a big protest. And uh, they eventually elected a, uh, a new government in their city and said, OK, well, you don't have to do that. And their vaccination rates dropped. So they dropped from nearly 100% down to like 10% over time. And so here's the same chart, essentially. But this is just in Leicester, England. I think it is. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay, so you still have that big spike there, and that's when you had, you know, peak vaccination rates, 100%. Massive spike. And then the vaccination rates dropped off. They came up a little bit, and they, but they were still way under, you know, 100%. But you'll see that smallpox wasn't really, you know, coming back. As a matter of fact, the medical profession, when Lester in 1885 said, hey, we're not vaccinating anymore, and the vaccination rates dropped, they really thought, you know, everybody in Leicester was going to die. You know, they just were up in arms about it. But Leicester said, oh, well, that's not what we're going to do. You know, it's, you know, you get to decide whether you want to get vaccinated or not. So mm. the vaccination rates stayed low, but smallpox didn't resurge and start killing everybody in Leicester. And this actually occurred all over um, Great Britain, over England. So the vaccination rate started high, but they slowly went down. I guess it went up here for a little while, but then it just basically came down. But you'll notice as the vaccination rates went down, there wasn't any resurgence of smallpox. It didn't come back with a, a vengeance like was predicted over and over again. But they they could counter that by saying, well, it's because of the vaccination. Well, they had been doing vaccination for, you know, oops, I think back here, oops. Maybe everyone there. So they've been doing vaccination over here and it wasn't working. Right. And including this 1872 really happened everywhere. Uh, as far as I know, Chicago, New York, London. It was you know, essentially hit everybody. I'm not sure why that happened exactly, but the vaccine didn't protect anybody. Mm. A lot of mm. people died from it. 
despite being vaccinated. And, and that happened across uh, Europe and in Japan, everywhere. People were dying like flies, even if they were vaccinated. And um, yeah, so yeah, there wasn't a resurgence. And you could say, well, the vaccine took all that time to kick in, but vaccination rates are dropping. There should have been a resurgence, but there never was. As a matter of fact, Lester um, basically did you know, their experiment until they discontinue uh, compulsory vaccination in Britain, 18, uh, 1948, that it was you know, 60 years of data and there was never really a problem in Lester. Yeah. And so to your point, what happened, all these infectious diseases declined at the same time. Measles, whooping cough, the flu, um, scarlet fever, consumption, you know, all these different things were going down at the same time. And measles, I mean, sorry, smallpox used to kill, um, you know, 20% of the people who got it. That's one in five. But as you hit the late 1800s into the 1900s, you can see the case fatality rate dropping. Went from four to two, down, down, down to 0.38. It was often confused with chickenpox. It just became not much of an issue. So whereas used to kill 20% of the people, it had dropped to 0.38%. So as this is what I believe in, and I think it's substantiated by you know um, what's going on with the other infectious diseases, is as people got healthier, the deaths from smallpox just dropped, just like every other infectious disease. And by healthier, you mean general standard of living? Yeah, right. So now you have multiple things coming into play. You have electricity coming in. You have uh, better transportation. The electricity gives you ice boxes and the refrigeration so your food's not rotten. Cleaner water. Better yeah, clean water, clean food. Uh, labor laws are kicking in. So children aren't working in mines and factories. And schools started coming in, so they actually would go to school and start, you know, it was, it was a massive improvement in lifestyle across the board um so it, there was everything improved at the same time so again all infectious diseases so-called infectious diseases declined at the same time so by the time you hit 1950 1960 and you can read about this in the vital statistics and other medical literature that they thought gee you know these infectious diseases of the past they're just not much of a problem anymore they, we can just basically not even bother with them because they're no longer part of our mortality statistics. They're very low on the on the mm. on the uh, on the scale, you know. So you know, I mean, if you have a like, you know ninety nine percent decline in mortality, it's like you know we don't have to bother with this anymore. Uh, and here's the uh, Lester sixty two years of vaccination, uh, and. I forgot the guy's name. I forget which doctor. Dr. Millard. Dr. Millard, I think. He wrote this in a, whatever journal it was. And he was saying two-thirds of children are not vaccinated anymore, but now it's just declined, declined, declined. So, And this was a, a testimony by Dr. Mack in 2002. And he was apparently uh, one of the people out in the field all the time uh, you know, looking at smallpox at the time. And he, he said that was like 40 years ago. And he commented it wasn't, you know, why did smallpox go, go away? He says it's not because of mass uh, herd immunity. It disappeared because of economic development, which is what I was talking about. You know, mm. basically as the society improved, things got better for everything. 
and uh, that's why it disappeared. And he stated it was not from universal vaccination, which is something that you know is generally talked about. They said, well, it's the vaccine. That's why we don't have smallpox anymore. But that's that's not really true. <laughs> At least that's not what I think is true. And the, I think the the information shows that it's not the the kind of story that's been promoted. Yeah, I mean the the story that's been promoted is that vaccines are pretty much the greatest medical invention of all time. Yeah, I mean, who didn't think, well, I thought that, Suzanne thought that, a um, couple other doctors and nurses thought that until they went to look at this stuff. And, mm. you know, I would just, you know, talk about it with some of them and they're like, oh, wow, something's, something's wrong here. So anybody that goes to look, they find a different story. If you go, to, for example, to Wikipedia, right? There's a little, I forget, the history of vaccination. They'll show you certain things, but they will always leave out other things. They won't show you the mortality rate decline for all these diseases. That's never shown, even though that you would think for data driven, we'd show that data, but that data is almost never shown. It's hmm. never talked about because it doesn't feed into the narrative, I guess. I mean, I, I think people self edit. I don't know why. I don't know why anybody doesn't really talk about it in the medical journals. And I went to look. I tried to find somebody that would talk about it. And I think I have a... Yeah, so here's a, an example from uh, Pediatrics 1988. And they talk about the five to 10,000 deaths back in the early 1900s, which is true. And then there was only five to 10 deaths from whooping cough, right? And actually, this is the... The, they referenced a particular document, and this is the chart that you would make from that document. And again, they don't they they make it sound like it's because of the mass immunization that this happened from five to ten thousand to five to ten. But in point of fact, it had uh, already gone yes. down ninety percent. It was the already trend, a downward trend. Yes. Yeah, it was already a downward trend. It this does. If, if this was actually key, the line should have been up here and then dropped off like a rock. Yes. Instead, it's just a trend. This doesn't seem to have done anything. Yet, if you read this this particular journal, and it's a quite a lengthy article, that's the opening paragraph. And thousands, if not tens of thousands of doctors read that back in 1988. And if you read that, if you read this as a doctor, you would say, well, yeah, well, clearly vaccination is the greatest thing ever invented. Yes. If you leave out the key data, which is this, you're, you know, you have a whole uh, generation of doctors thinking, well, why wouldn't you vaccinate? You've got to be an idiot. <laughs> right. Yes. And uh, but that's because for whatever reason, they didn't present the full picture and you know, I think part of it is because the title, I don't think I have the title here. It was uh, Immunization. I can't remember the title of the, the paper, but it was focused on immunization. It wasn't focused on, you know, the health of people or helping people from whooping cough. It was all about immunization. So either they self-edited or somebody edited it out or they just, you know, didn't even think that this was, you know, I have no idea. But um, basically there's journal after journal that does the same thing. There was That's a uh, journal. Yeah, there was a journal in 1980, uh, Journal of Public Health. They talked about measles in that case, and they had a little chart, but they they put it on a, a logarithmic paper, logarithmic, logarithmic chart. 
which makes it look like there's a big drop at the end. But if you put the same chart on a regular piece of graph paper, um, you can see that the decline was 98% before the vaccine. Not mentioned in the article. It simply, slipped how did the vaccine save us? This led me to realize that uh, germ theory is effectively not a valid theory because the germ, we focused on the germ. We said, oh, somebody died from measles. When point of fact, your body is much more complicated than you're just a helpless human and a microbe comes along. It has to do with your, you know, your overall health state. And that could be vitamin C levels. If you're getting adequate rest, uh, exercise, eating good food, all that, you know, makes you into a healthy human being. So if you're, you're in the 1800s and you're eating garbage, you're poisoned, you're overworked, uh, you have no rest, uh, a microbe comes along, boom, you're, you're, you're doomed. But by 1960, you know, 1960, that wasn't the case. Yeah. So did somebody really die from measles or were they just deficient in certain nutrients? It's a, you know, more holistic way to look at it. And that's what they call terrain theory, right? So it's the terrain that's important, not the microbe. So I think all these charts and all this data and all the history shows that germ theory is just, just a, you know, it's just a, it's not valid. And it's also, you know, it's really nice to have a simplistic five-year-old kind of model of the universe. So you're just a person, you get hit by one thing, and that one thing, we have to stop that one thing and then we're safe. That's mm -hmm. it. So it's a very simplistic you know, kind of model. And it's easy to say, well, the, that's the microbe. The microbe's the problem. If we just stop the microbe, then you wouldn't die from that microbe. So, and then you can say, well, I need an antibiotic or I need a vaccine. And so you start doing, you know, you're around that paradigm. But if it's overall health of the human, then that's what you would focus on. And I think that's where we went wrong. We weren't really wrong starting in the 40s that we didn't recognize that. And if we did, we wouldn't be having all these, you know, different vaccines, I believe. A 99.8% decline, you know, why don't you do the last 0.2% with the same kind of method? Why would you have to have a whole brand new mass immunization program? I think there, you know, it's a belief system. So mm -hmm. if we go back to, you know, if here you're a doctor, or lots of tens of thousands of doctors read these kind of journals and you're indoctrinated into this belief system because this is what you're reading and it mm. makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't you want to vaccinate, right? And almost nobody would go and go look at the actual data and, you know, rethink it. You would just, you know, you're a busy doctor, you know, reading it. So who can blame lots and lots of people for believing in this? I mean, it's perfectly, it makes perfect sense, right? Um, you know, why did the people who wrote this write it that way? I can't tell you that. I don't know these people and what mm -hmm. their motivations. Maybe they just made a you know a horrible mistake, or maybe they had a motivation to do it this way because they were part of a company. Or I have no idea who they were. So when you look at this data, I mean, mm -hmm. it's that's the data. Yeah. And the thing is, it's never talked about. And um, you know, when I realized this, and I had you know binders of uh, photocopied history stuff, I decided, well, maybe I should. Well, I shouldn't just keep it in my basement. I should actually do something with it. So I started writing the book and then later on Suzanne came on board, which was brilliant. And, uh, you know, we, we're, we work together, we bounce back and forth and that's how we came up with the book.
but it's the data that really, you know, that was the hook for me. Mm. I was like, well, okay, well, this data shows a different story than everybody else thinks. So it's not like they didn't do anything, but the, 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 the big thing is what you would want to do is decrease mortality. And that just was already done. So mm. again, there, I mean, there was articles in the fifties and sixties of, you know, what can we do? And people were like, Dr. Klenner were using vitamin C. He gave large doses of vitamin C to children and they got through measles like in two days without any trouble or other conditions like polio and, and whatnot. So there was he there was other doctors doing these types of things, which was nutritional interventions, but those never, you know, they just didn't catch on. Right. Instead, we decided we need to vaccinate everybody, for, you know, their entire lives, you know. So and I, I think that's just a wrong headed approach. And that's just based on data. It's not you know, based on some kind of ideology. It's mm. here's the data. It makes sense to me that why are we doing this? And why did we start in the first place? Well, certainly with smallpox, you know, the original mm. vaccine, there was lots of negative effects. There were negative effects, with, for example, with the pertussis or originally on the, it's they had the um, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, right? DTP. Yeah. And even in the, I think it was in the 1948, in a pediatric journal, they were talking about neurological damage in various children and how they failed to, uh, how they ha had regressed. So th they did detect that there were problems and there were people that were being damaged. And that's mm -hmm. why they eventually changed it to DTAP, right? Attenuated pertussis. So, you know, people have been damaged. It's just been considered to be very small. So when you look at the 1918, the, I just, you know, did a little story about that. Um, the 1918 flu, supposed flu, mm. you know, what was going on with that? Um, young people weren't dying. Older people weren't dying, which is the opposite of the flu. People would get a high fever. They would um, die within hours or days and they would turn blue. It doesn't sound like any kind of flu. I think it just got garbage canned out of flu. Yeah. I'm not really sure what's what it really was yet. I'm still, you know, kind of digging into that. And some people... Um, like Ellen McBean say it was because they were experimenting with various vaccines and they were injecting soldiers with a particular concoction and yeah. them in particular and, and then the general public and boom, it suddenly broke out that the flu broke out, but it was really, you know, damage from that. But radio, I haven't really... Radio towers huh? as well. Yeah, there's a bunch of different things, but I uh, haven't really settled on it. One thing I do think it wasn't an exactly a flu. Mm. And I'm, st I'm still kind of reading into that. What was very interesting is there was experiments done. There was five experiments, and I could only find four, in a total of 260 people. And they tried to get these people sick. So they would take these healthy people and expose them to the sick people who had the f this flu. They tried everything. They had them breathe on them, cough on them, in their, in the, down their throat, you know, up their nose, sprayed in their eyes take it from corpses, lungs of corpses, and, you know, and squirt it in their eyes, nose, and throat, in, subcutaneously inject them. They tried every way. They had one experiment where they took 10 healthy people, and they had them sit with a sick person, and then the person would cough and sneeze in their face for like five minutes, and then they would go to the next person, so they were exposed to 10 different people, all 10 of them. Nobody got sick. So you had 260 people that... <laughs> no matter how hard they tried, could not get sick. So it wasn't transmittable. Yes. 
but they they basically concluded well there must have been some other factors and they kind of went on went on with yes the flu is transmitted so was it that this thing was transmissible no clearly it wasn't so but was it a flu probably not so so I'm not sure if that means no flu is transmissible or just this particular thing wasn't transmissible because it was actually something else. Yeah, that's that's an open question for me anyway. I think I think polio had multiple different uh, things going on that could cause a paralysis. And also the medical treatment itself, you know, they would mm. put somebody in braces and then leave them that way for months or years and then think, well, gee, once we take them off, your muscles don't work too well. Well, we would kind of know that now that that's a bad idea. And that's why you had like Sister Kenny, she had a 100% recovery, right? Because she would, you know, not do that. She would just do um, hot packs and massage and everybody just was fine. I have no, so, I have no objections to being massaged. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people do. I mean, who doesn't like a massage, right? Yeah. I, th- I think a lot of it, you know, we've gone the wrong direction. We should be saying, hey, people should get healthy. They should have right. You know nutrients they should get adequate sunshine and we've been we've been going in the opposite direction since about the 70s people are getting more obese they're getting mm. less sunshine so their vitamin d levels are going down they're getting less nutrition because they're eating you know junk food and so we're going backwards i think we our health peaked somewhere in the 70s and it's been going you know as a general population there are people that are really fit but as a general human population it's going backwards and uh, I think we're, you know, we're suffering from that you know, obesity, so-called pandemic is now mm. worldwide yeah. and it's, it's only going up. And I think there's different factors involved. In that. It's, you know, what's your diet like? I mean, I, yeah. I count that's a basically a whole foods diet, you know, not a refined diet. Um, and there's different varieties of that. Your whole foods diet, get out, get exercise, get into you know, the sun. It's, it's, it's basically the, the basics. But we got away from the basics. Instead, every time there's a problem, we run to the doctor. And we, yeah. we've lost our ability to manage our own health at all. And the solution isn't like to get morbidly obese and yeah. sit and watch television all day long and then go to the doctor when you're, you know, you have chest pain or that you get a blood test. And go, oh, your cholesterol is high. I think this is completely a wrong way to have gone, although it's been quite profitable for certain people. Mm. As a society, it's just been a disaster. If all these other vaccines weren't as magical as we've been led to believe, I don't see why this one's any better. And um, I'm in the camp now, and I didn't start out that way. I thought, you know, gee, there's some kind of virus that's going around, and it's hitting our unhealthy population, and we're paying for getting obese. And you could see that it was hitting obese people. Um, You're getting people who um, aren't getting enough sunshine, and so their vitamin D levels are awful. And we could see that as well in the data, right? And then we could see that when people were given vitamin D, they're cut the mortality rate in half. And so in, in the beginning, I thought, gee, you know, this virus is hitting all the unhealthy people and everyone's panicking that everyone is going to get it. And you can look at the data from, you know, last year. The people who got hit were, um, again, obese, elderly, sickly, same people that get hit with any kind of any kind of any kind of problem plus then the fear they ramped Mm. up the fear and so people were panicking and just the fear alone will destroy your immune system 
And so if you're terrified, and I think there was one study where it was 20% of the people were in the hospital because of anxiety and uh, fear disorders. You know, I wonder how that happened. So, so you had a whole bunch of people being terrified, and that's going to destroy your health too. But then I ran across a particular um, study that looked at the original, you know, how do they detect that this is a, a problem? How, how do we know that? And it was the PCR test. I don't know if we have time to even talk about that. When I looked at this uh, particular study uh, that they analyzed the original paper, they said, hey, wait a second, something's, uh, something's wrong here. First of all, the cycle rates have to be in the 25 to 30 range and not what typically is used 37 to 45. So they were saying, you know, if your cycles are really high, then you're only detecting a signal. You're not talking detecting a, you know, any kind of virus. And it's only a fragment of RNA that was, and if you listen to Sam Bailey, it's only a fragment of RNA, mm. not the entire virus RNA. And from what I understand, and I could, you know, I, I don't know, and from people I've talked to, the virus itself has not been fully isolated. So that we don't have a virus where we can match that RNA fragment to the entire virus. So if you haven't proven it's part of a virus, how do you know it's part of a virus? Except mm. that it seems like it's part of a, you know, it seems like it's a virus. So what you really need to do is isolate a virus and maybe somebody has, and you need to, you know, show how you did that. You have to say, here's the entire RNA sequence. And then you have to have, be able to replicate that. Other scientists need to be able to replicate that. That's that's what science is, right? You have to be able to replicate it. And then you need to be able to take this virus and show that it causes disease in a, in a host. Yeah, and that I, hasn't happened. Of, as far as I know, none of that's happened. Mm-hmm. So it's just an assumption that this piece of RNA is something. So when people say, you know, I got COVID because they got the test, I said, well, not really. You have a PCR positive test with unknown cycle count because they don't print it on the test Mm. of a highly suspicious RNA fragment that's never been proved to be part of a virus. That's what you have. (laughs) Right. So you you don't have a disease necessarily. You have a test that's showing that you have an RNA fragment. Where's it from? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows, but they've been assuming it's a virus. You know, right now we're mandating vaccines everywhere. We're not mandating to make sure what's your vitamin D level. Make sure mm. you're, you know, let's do a blood test on you. Make sure it's in the optimal range. And then we're going to make sure that everybody gets vitamin D. It would be cheap. It would be a fraction of the cost. Are we doing it? No. But we could be doing that. Are we doing, hey, you know, the president or whoever goes on TV and says, you know, we've got an obesity problem. Mm. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. But being obese is unhealthy. You're going to have more heart disease, stroke, cancer, and you're going to have more upper respiratory problems. So we need Mm -hmm. to tackle this problem. But we're not doing that. Instead, the opposite has happened. Obesity levels have gone up and in children. Vitamin D levels, I'm sure, have gone down. You know, people isolating in their houses. So we're going in the opposite of health. We need to improve the health of the population, not run around with vaccines as some kind of magical solution. We're still in the you know germ uh, paradigm. The germ's the center of the universe. That's the only thing that matters. Nothing else matters, right? Which I, I think is just uh, you know kind of a you know three-year-old level of understanding of of health, and we've kind of just got sucked down that that pathway. Instead, I think we need to go back to 
trying to be healthy like we're in the 70s, 60s and 70s, and we've been going down ever since the 80s. Now, in the case of this, um, you know, uh, SARS-CoV-2, is there really a virus? There could be, you know, I don't know, but I, I haven't seen any proof of it. And, you know, mm. and people I talk to, doctors and uh, others, they haven't, there's no paper as, as I'm aware of that has that as an isolated entity. And the steps we talked about, okay, now that you have the virus, mm. you should be able to find the virus in a lot of people. And then you should be able to take that virus and infect somebody with it and they should get the same symptoms, right? It, yeah. That has not been done to my knowledge. Again, you know, we could have said, hey, if we, if we were a rational society, in the beginning, we should have said, hey, we know vitamin D is important. So everybody get on the sun. We know that we now know there's there was a study of a half a million people that exercise, just exercise, even if you're overweight, makes a difference. Mm. So go out and exercise. And we know that being overweight is bad. Everybody should start losing weight. And so you could do all these things and say, hey, maybe we shouldn't have so much junk food. You should cut that out and you should start eating healthy and you know, and also get your fear level down. Let's make sure everybody's meditating or praying or whatever you want and have good social interactions and good friends, hobbies, de-stress. You know, if you did all those things, that would have only made everything better. Right. You not only would have cut any kind of uh, death from this, you know, thing, whatever it might be, if it exists or not, right? But you would also cut down cancer, heart disease, stroke, all these things would have plummeted. In front of you, there's a crystal ball. What do you see? Oh, you want me to predict the future, huh? Um, I don't know. I have, I have friends that tell me this is all going to be exposed and things are going to radically shift. And then the the medical system as we know it is going to is basically going to kind of collapse because people will lose faith in it and they start taking control of their own health and things turn around for the better i like that i like that a lot because then everybody's getting healthier they're happier they're doing more that's a great i like that one how about if we stick with that one i like that that uh that that future uh it could go the other way where it becomes more totalitarian if I said that right. And uh, there's more and more uh, government restrictions and clampdowns and everything else. I don't, I don't like that one. So we'll just go with the first one. <laughs> Please go to the website. All the charts there are mm. in full color. They're much easier to read than in the book. We had to make them little black and white things. It was mm. you know, kind of dreadful. That's the best I could have done at the time. So, so you can get the nice big giant charts, the ones you saw in the presentation. Um, and that... That's a lot easier to see see what's going on there. Plus, the references they're in the book too, but they're also in the on the web page. So you can please verify the data. Please mm. do your own homework and go. Well, why am I going to believe this guy? Don't believe me. Go go check the references yourself and do your own research. Great. Yeah, Roman, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thanks for the uh, great chat. It's great. Thanks. Thanks for allowing me to present this and you know, kind of. Uh, dissolve some illusions all right so it's uh, good well i think you have <laughs> my name is germ this is germ warfare the battle of ideas if you enjoyed this podcast please visit supportgerm.com